That wizard came from the moon. Welcome to Purple Dungeon Squid, the podcast for gamers the toke. If you love the green and you love the screen, well then you're in the right place, friend, because we're here to shoot the breeze on some dank strains and some video games. This week on Purple Dungeon Squid, we're back after some worldly travels, and we played some classic older games while we were at it. Dan spent some time in the outer worlds while Andy dug deep into Shovel Knights. Andy got a new PAX Vaporizer and Leafly released an all-new way to categorize your weed. We talk big releases coming out in November, edibles, vaping, and finally, we settle in for the winter months with games that fit the cozy season. We'll also be settling in for our smoke sesh, so stick around for that because it's going to be a good, good time. I'm your host, Andy, and with me as always, the one... The only, the son of a beautiful mother, Dank Dan. Hey, Andy. Looks like we finally fixed the vapor breach we've had in the outer hall, and I've got the dilithium matrix realigned. We can kick this thing back into action. Yeah, back into action is exactly what I was hoping for, Dan, because it's been, damn, a few weeks (laughs) since we had a podcast. I don't know. What happened? What happened? This will be known as the Black Weeks, where we were uh, ferried off to U.S. Black Site and interrogated for weeks on end. But we're back, and God bless America. Yeah. God bless the United States. of a- Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty crazy time, man. Well, it's nice to be back in the chair with you. I wish we were face-to-face, but unfortunately, we find ourselves separated at birth as usual. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, there is a, a little bit of a, like a fort score of kilometers between us, but the hearts, they're still touching. Yeah, well, tip to tip, as usual. Mm-hmm. How you been, bud? What's been going on in your life? Uh, By the way, before you answer that question, more important things. This is a podcast about weed and video games, friends. So if you're joining us for the first time, not only is it a podcast about weed and video games, but this is the 40th time we've done it. It's episode 40. Mm, Yeah. It's it's good. I mean, like, I don't know how loud we should trumpet it because it's not 50 and we are going to like pat ourselves so hard on the back at 50 but 40 feels good 40 feels good you know um between 40 and all of the lost episodes of things we recorded that were utter trash i think that we're pretty much at 50 so we can give it we can give it up 47 and a half (laughs) (laughs) yeah no it's uh, it's exciting man i mean we've been doing this podcast for nigh on a year and a half two years two years actually i think it was our two-year anniversary this past november in fact Wow, you know what that means? We are inconsistent. How many how many weeks in a year, buddy? How many weeks? Fifty two, uh-huh. episode forty. You do yeah. the math. Yeah. Yeah. Oh boy. Doing well. Doing yeah. well. Yeah. That's okay. Um, this is a bi weekly podcast, though. I think we decided on that at some point. We just sure. never said much about it. We floated that out there. So there's uh, you know, twenty six. Still not great, but you know what? We're doing our best, and at the end of the day, isn't that all Listen, you can Dan, ask of somebody? Dan. This is a podcast run by two stoners who like video games. Like, let's That's right. just let's just settle let's down here a little bit. Par for the course. <laughs> Forty episodes, two years. I feel like this is a. I mean, these are not short episodes either. You're about to hear us talk for a long, really long time. If we're being honest. Yeah, like 
once we get going, it's it's hard it's to hard make to us put a cork stop. in it. To be honest, yeah, add a little bit of weed in there, and I mean, we may be here tomorrow morning. Yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to episode 50. I feel like we need to put a montage together. I don't have any actual video footage of our of our lives over the last two years. No, but I feel like we could recreate that pretty simply because we're doing roughly the same shit. <laughs> That's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, uh, game consoles have turned over and things are things are a little different, but uh, but by and large, same shit. Yeah. Well, and when you want to tell a story, you want to do it with a montage. Yeah, montage for sure. Hugging, mm-hmm. running through a meadow, hitting yep. the bong. This That's is right. all. This is all the high quality uh, content you can expect on our Instagram. Eating Purple ice cream, dungeon squid. Skipping, skipping next to a fjord. Dan, you know you don't talk over me when I say. The Instagram handle. That's like rule one. Did man. you say the Instagram handle? I said the at Purple Dungeon Squid. You can't, uh, you just, you hit can't it again. mess with that. Hit it, hit it again for the clean edit. And that is the high quality content you can expect out of our at Purple Dungeon Squid social media channel. Love it. On Instagram, in, 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 yeah, in, the gram. On the, the gram. gram. Gramming it. Okay, well, speaking of a gram. Or two. Uh, what have you been up to, Dan? How's how's things been progressing in your uh, your neck of the woods? Whatever it is you're up I'm to. I'm glancing at the show notes and and by uh, the words written here, I, I went to EGLX four weeks ago. Wow, that is a serious. What what did you go to? EGL what? X. It's uh, it was the gaming expo here in Toronto, um, where uh, not only was there uh, many um, sort of awesome. Uh, attractions of uh, for gamers VR games and <laughs> it was so long ago you cannot. I, I'm like what trying happened. to summon it. Okay, so at the core of it, there was like a bunch of tournaments going on. There was a Rainbow Six tournament which the Canadians did bring home. I caught some of that. I got to go a little bit behind the scenes. Uh, there's uh, you can catch that on the old Insta there. Um, but what was really great is uh, me and my buddy Jordan. We got to sort of wander around and see what was going on. And uh, I noticed a lot of things. You know, there was a, a great Blizzard booth there. Um, uh, some of the manufacturers had some great stuff, and there was just consoles set up as far as the eye could see to play things like Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter. Um, Dota was uh, and League of Legends was there in, in strong fashion. But what I also noticed is that uh, Andy, we we are not uh, the right age. There was a, a trium of fourteen year olds, of as far as the eye could see, mothers in tow. Yeah, dude. Let me just let, let me lay this out to you, um, adult gamers, of which we are legion. We are legion. Listen, we all grew up, we grew up in the eighties and nineties. Like, let's let's be real. We all play video games. Yeah. But adult gamers, I don't know. I don't think we go to a lot of things. We got things going on. We got different Gainful stuff. Employment, families. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, when the hell am I going? I don't know how you got to an esports tournament. I don't know when that happened. Well, we got we got sent some passes, and it was it it was something that I felt like I I kind of had to go to, and it was a great time. Like, I mean, we did watch uh, the Canadian team take the Rainbow Six trophy, and we we it was really cool. Like, Bell Media was there, and they had um, esports folks there streaming live in like these constructed booths and in between matches, like these kids were coming up and getting autographs that knew them. They were like shouting their names and like the the next batch, the next generation is gonna have heroes that are or that are streaming icons, which is like so wild to me. Do you do you watch any do you do any like a Twitch streaming viewing? Is that something that, that you tune into? No, you know, I, I watch YouTube or I'll watch Twitch um, if I'm interested in a game that I'm, you know, I want to explore. But by and large, like the competitive gaming thing isn't really something that's on my radar. That being said, every time I get to Vegas, I almost always drop into the esports um, 
what do you call it? The esports lounge. I mean, it's it's a it's a huge esports. Uh, wow, I keep looking for a word, but it's not there. It's in the um, wow, I forgot the name. Luxor, excuse me, the big black pyramid. <laughs> that just sounds crazy. The big black pyramid, and inside the big black pyramid, there is an esports arena. That's the word, and you can actually see the esports arena logo from the airport, which is pretty wild. Like it's it's uh, it's visible. Um, you know, and they've got like a 20 foot tall, like screen where you can watch tournaments happening. They've got a bar, um, there's computers set up all over the place and arcade games you can play. It's just a blast to go to, but you know, um, in terms of participating in esports or watching it, yeah, I watched Evo there one year and it was a blast. Actually, I was there with two of my like somewhat non-gamer friends and you know, we had a couple beers at the bar and we were watching people play smash and it was, uh, yeah, we were there for three, four hours. It was, it was just as good, if not better as than watching, you know, a blue Jays game or something. So, um, I'm, I'm on board with esports. I just, I'm not following it uh, closely right now. Yeah. Like there's this new sort of batch of celebrities uh, that are performers in the esports world and like how we ended up getting these passes is one of their managers had reached out, um, to Jordan, uh, who's an agent and wanted to come out and see these guys. So some figure, some figures from the music industry are being tapped to say, hey, like maybe you should be taking a secret agent. What? Oh, you can't tell. I, I understand. You don't want to blow his identity. Well, I did say his first name. I mean, that's that's probably a good start. Jordan, Agent Jordan. Right. Anyway, so he, he actually got tapped to come look at it because they're saying, hey, like music industry agents should be looking at representing some of these esports uh, guys. And that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, it's this emergent industry. And you can see the uh, companies that are popping up around them. Like as you go around to the booth, uh, folks, there's like uh, a bunch of energy drinks that are basically marketed as like uh, stimulants to make you uh, better at at uh, this Twitch gaming. Like, they're literally energy drinks. They're like, uh, you know, your neural response time will go up and it's got, you know, L5 tryptoline and, like, it's nootropics for gaming. Uh, oh, which yeah, is man. wild. Well, you know what? I gotta be honest. Balls, B-A-W-L-S, Balls energy drinks came out, like, I want to say 20 years ago, maybe a little bit less, like 18 years ago, Advertising in PC Gamer, right? right? They were they were the original, I believe, they were the original, um, outside of like Mountain Dew, they were the original gamers energy drink. And so this has been going on for a while, but man, like look at today, Blizzard is building a giant arena in California for esports. There's esports um, bars and, and cafes popping up all over. You know, Toronto, uh, which is where we're from, Toronto used to have, I remember when I was in university in Toronto, they had land cafes, right? Land cafes, you'd go in, you'd pay whatever, five bucks an hour or something like that, and you could, you know, play Counter-Strike with your friends or whatever it is. Eventually, all of the land cafes died. Mobile gaming came in, you know, more people had consoles at home, whatever the reason is. Um, PC LAN was no longer as like a hot thing to do when you were uh, off school or whatever. Um, and so all those cafes died. But dude, they're all back. They are back. Except now they're esports cafes or bars, right? That's right. And people are watching people play these competitive games. There's Dota, there's League of Legends, there's, as you mentioned, Rainbow Six. What is it? Siege? Or, yeah. I, sorry, whatever the one you played is. Um, you know, there's uh, a Smash. The fighting games are huge. Smash, um, Dragon Ball Fighter Z, I, I think, is still big. Um, you know, so there, there's just there's this 
resurgence of people going to places to watch games being played. And it's totally weird. Like it went away for five years and came back as rebranded as esports, and it's the new hot thing again. Yeah, I, I, balls might have been a little bit too early to the punch there, maybe 18 years too early. Too, too deep a cut. Yeah, no kidding. It's it's crazy because I tried a bunch of these energy drinks and some of them were, were okay and some of them tasted great. I actually bought, I bought two tins of this powdered one that you add to water um, from a Canadian guy and I, I wish I could, I, I wish I could pimp it out on the podcast because I don't actually have the container here, but I, I will circle back and give this guy some props when the time is right. But there's a whole industry. I think that's just pure blue test cocaine, Dan. You should be careful. Blue test cocaine. That explains why I keep wanting to start businesses with people I just met. (laughs) Well played. Uh, Yeah, I don't know that I would accept random energy powder from strangers. They weren't strangers. It wasn't a guy behind the the conference center. They had a booth. And, And once you have a booth, I'll eat anything you got there. Yeah, yeah, he had a booth back in the alley you were taking a pee in. Oh, yeah, he just he's leaning on the dumpster. It was a big green booth. Another classic bit. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell from all the laughter. Yes. Um, goodness, goodness. Yeah, well, I went on a cruise, Dan. How's that? How's that for exciting? And I will spare you the details of, uh, of what I did on my family cruise with my wonderful wife and beautiful children. Um, but what I did do, Dan, was I played a bunch of Shovel Knight. Let me tell you, like I dusted off the 3DS. I took it to Amsterdam with me a little while ago and uh, decaled the thing out with stickers. And, you know, I mean, they're all weed related stickers from the various businesses I visited there. Um, And so I've got this like gnarly weed sticker covered uh, (laughs) 3DS. And um, I find myself on the plane and it's the first time my kids have flown. And I'm like, oh, I'll just, you know, just put a game on for them or whatever. And I realize sure. as I'm handing over the game, <laughs> is that it, it's like she's in the middle of a plane with like this weed sticker covered 3DS. So I swiftly swapped that out for the iPad. Nice. Um, and then, you know, I had to kind of covertly carry this 3DS around, uh, especially on the boat, which was this nice, sophisticated cruise. And, you know, here I am with my my weed sticker 3DS. So um, you weren't ready for a seaside strip search. No, that's not. I was not. Well, yeah, no, it was it was a blast, man. It was a really lovely, relaxing time. And now I'm here. We're back. We're ready to go for the holiday season. And I feel like uh, I feel like we've got some gaming to do. So um, I know we want to talk about some games, but I wanted to mention one other thing. I uh, actually just received a PAX 3. Yeah. So I've been hearing about the PAX 3 for a good long time. Lots of friends have it, love it. Um, I'm a Da Vinci guy, and in fact, today for the smoke sesh, I've, actually not Da Vinci, excuse me, a riser. I've got um, my Ariser Go, the Argo, that I'll be vaping out of. So um, you know, stay tuned for that smoke sesh. But I'm really thrilled to try the PAX. What's interesting though is that what one of the things I was most excited to do with the PAX is there's actually a companion app that comes along with it. So you can like set your temperature, you can, you know, um, set how long you want it to be on for. There's a bunch of things you can toy around with and you can save settings, I believe, and, you know, track sessions. So all of that was super appealing to me. But the App Store, like the, the Apple App Store, just this week um, removed all vaping related apps from the app store, presumably in response to, you know, the, the vaping crisis that has nothing to do with vaping dry herb, but I digress, Boo. right? Yeah. So I was sitting here, I'm like so excited about my PAX app. And now Apple has taken away the PAX app for a completely unrelated bogus reason. It's kind of a bummer, Dan. It's a super bummer, especially because if they had their eyes open, they would know that 
uh, we're dealing with problematic fluid. Like if you're getting bootleg fluid, you might as well be dropping random shit. Like, oh, let's uh, let's just uh, let's vape the suntan lotion. Like, yeah, if you vape random shit, it's gonna go poorly for you. That's not that's not the fault of the vape or the app. But Apple just likes to take 150 steps back from any legal action. Yeah. Well, I mean, like the reality is, is that it's also not the fault of the people who vape the things that they thought were legitimate THC, right? I mean, now, of course, there's a lot more scrutiny on these carts, especially since the CDC has has um, put out an official, hey, this is because of vitamin E acetate honeycut, right? So, you know, I think that people are really wary about vapes right now. Um, marijuana vapes like THC vapes are, are obviously the component that were being diluted with this additive and causing se- severe respiratory harm all of that is horrible our you know hearts go out to the victims that's i mean unfathomably bad and at the same time removing all the vape apps from the app store has absolutely nothing to do with black market bootleg carts so yeah uh, apple i know you're listening listen to your friends at the purple dungeon squid you just go ahead and put those apps back just slide them right back slide in. them right back in i'll tell you buddy there, there was some fast reaction to that. I went and saw the Joker in theaters. Great movie. And there was a trailer from the government of Ontario that was like, it was a couple kids handing around a, a vape. And they're like, chemicals, additives, addictive nicotine, don't take the risk. And I'm like, whoa, we got here fast. Yeah, yeah. It took cigarettes like... 30 years for the Surgeon General to switch his position from cigarettes are fantastic for curing asthma to maybe lay off when you're pregnant to now where the vaping uh, train hit terminal velocity in terms of government warnings so fast. Like I know people been vaping for 10 years, but it, it really picked up in the last, it feels like eight months. Am I crazy? No, you're not crazy, Dan. You're not crazy. It's escalated in a hurry. That's for darn sure. Right. And then just like a huge, quick response governmentally, like like fast, fast, fast. Yeah, man. I mean, I don't I forget where we were going with this whole vape conversation. But yeah, it's a it's a shame and it's an overreaction. And yeah, I definitely want my uh, I definitely want my packs to work with an app. Anyhow, um, on the other end of the spectrum with vapes, though, vapes are coming real soon to Canada here, Dan. Yeah, we're counting down the days. We're counting down the days. I mean, I'm counting down the days. December 17th is when it's rumored that um, vape pens and edibles and all the fun concentrate-based um, you know, secondary products as opposed to just flour are going to be available in the Canadian marketplace. And I could not be more excited, first and foremost, because I will not have to worry about one of our fine licensed producers cutting my vape cartridge with Honeycut. Um, because Health Canada is uh, an, um, <laughs> an omnipresent and uh, total force in, in our country, and rightfully so. Um, so that'll be exciting. And then on the back end of that, um, I know that there's about 1,001 people who are interested in trying cannabis but are waiting for edibles. So it'll be really interesting to see exactly you know how that starts to find its way, especially around the holiday season, into our homes. Like, am I going to roll over to my mother's house and find a plate full of brownies waiting for me on Christmas Day? One can only hope. We can only hope. Yeah. What are you most excited for uh, with these new 2.0 products, Dan? I know that in the States, you guys live and breathe these every day. Um, but it's, you know, it's an exciting thing to be able to buy them legally up here. What are you, uh, what are you most stoked about? I, you know what? I'm just into uh, a big, nice availability of a product that works for folks that don't want to smoke herb, but are looking for some benefits from Marahuchi, whether it be relaxation or more medical things. And like just seeing the whole 
envelope of enjoyable products opening up like real real legalization happens when you can buy a cookie when you can get a gummy when when ed- and edibles are such a glorious uh, version of our friend cannabis because the the cannabinoids can really speak through especially when you're dealing with like a, a can of butter situation uh, you can get the the full width and breadth of that experience and I I'm looking forward to that I'm looking forward to buying a a, a cookie that has been lovingly crafted by both a master baker and a budsmith and having a great time yeah I feel you on that one you know I'm actually um, I'm going to an edible infused dinner this week, which I'm really excited about. I'll let you know how that goes. Um, edibles have not traditionally been my jam. You know, I'm more of a smoker vape guy, but, uh, but I'm excited to see, you know, how it, how it works out, especially like these, these smaller dose and in Canada, the maximum dose for an edible is 10 milligrams per segment. Um, so I feel like we're going to have a good variety of, of products that you can eat and know what kind of dose you've got. And, you know, experience the effects of five milligrams or 10 milligrams and not have to worry that you're accidentally going to get a hundred. You know, I think that that's going to be a really nice part about edibles. There's gummies in the U S that are literally a thousand milligrams. I believe it's like the death star is a thousand milligrams. Yeah. You're just, you're going to see Satan and it's just something I'm not interested in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going that deep, like uh, famously uh, Joey Diaz eats uh, the comedian eats these death stars and just fucking leaves the orbit. So uh, yeah, not where I want to go. I want to, I want to approach uh, the Lord uh, in a humble manner and not just, uh, you know, scream up with a hand grenade. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's it, man. Like I want to feel if I'm consuming cannabis, I want to feel like I am slipping into a nice warm bath with my whole body and mind. I do not want to feel like I'm Thor returning to Asgard on the fucking Bifrost. You know what I'm saying? I do not want to feel like that. It's just, oh, goodness. For me, I'm most excited about um, Dosist. Have you ever heard of Dosist? I think I've talked about it before, right? Have you you've heard of Dosist before? Dosist, Dosist. Remind me. So it's a brand out of California, and they make these disposable vape pens. They're kind of like a like a higher end kind of uh, craft disposable vape pen. You know, I know up in here in Canada, they're obviously a different product than they are in the U.S. because it's not American cannabis we have here in Canada. Uh, however, Dosist is really cool because the vape pen has a built-in dosing mechanism. So um, all of the dose, like all of the Dosist pens, are um, are a kind of. I guess, occasion-based. So you've got one that's for, what is it? There's one to relax, and there's one to, um, it's called passion that, like, energizes you. And there's one called arousal, Dan, for those special times. I've only tried passion and arousal. hey Which is not intentional. It's just the two pens I received. So I don't know if someone was trying to tell me something. But regardless, I tried both of them, and it's really cool. Like, you know, you draw in on the vape pen, and it vibrates when you've received a full dose of the product. Um, you know, the two pens that I uh, this is super weird to talk about, but the two pens that I used uh, executed as prescribed on the device. So and what you're saying is you got a, a passion pen that vibrated to let you know when the time was right. It's just, it's all sounding so wrong here, but I will assure you that uh, it is a wonderful product. And <laughs> I just... I feel assured. Uh, I feel satisfied. I feel yep, happy. No, but my, like, yeah. getting aside... I, that was the one sort of big question mark uh, for vapes all the way back to the volcano. You know, we were making those giant uh, bags of cannabis smoke is I didn't know exactly how much I'm getting 
So, you know, you kind of just go whole hog and uh, let your foot off the gas when, when things start to get crazy. I love the idea of it letting you know exactly uh, when to stop so you can kind of measure your own experience. That's that's great. Yeah, actually, the um, the Volcanoes come out with a new model, too. Like, they, they don't release new models very often, but it's the new Volcano. It's like a thousand bucks. It's it's all digital and it comes with a hose. I think it's called the Volcano Hybrid. It's actually their it's, new their new tagline is Volcano, cheaper than an actual volcano. <laughs> well, you know, volcanoes are made by Stores and Bickle, and Stores and Bickle was bought by Canopy a little while ago. So Canopy kind of owns the volcano thing now, but. Um, when it comes to uh, stores in Bickle, they're pretty neat because they're one of the only vape devices that's actually a medical device. Right. So stores in Bickle has been around for decades, mm-hmm. um, the originals. Right. And, you know, their products are made to a medical standard, which means that if you're, again, I, I, don't take my advice on this. I'm not a an insurance, medical insurance expert in Canada or the United States or Europe. But my understanding is that if you're entitled to receive medical cannabis in some capacity for a serious illness or something like that, volcanoes are in many cases covered by insurance because they're medical grade products, which is pretty cool. Neato burrito. Yeah. Neato burrito indeed. Neato burrito indeed. Um, so I wanted so one little point I wanted to mention, Dan, do you have an ashtray at home? I do. Okay, so I've you've you've not you're not, I'm not introducing you to something anything new, but I received a promotional silicone ashtray recently, and I have to tell you, it's completely changed my tell life. Tell me about it. Because I've been busy. If you're if you're one of those folks who are ashing your joint into a cup, and that's how things happen in your house, get an ashtray. It is life changing. End of my public service. Announcement. Oh, it's a great move. I got a beautiful black lotus flower ashtray, and it just it classes up the whole joint. Let's be honest. Yeah, I mean the thing with the ashtray is every time. I thought about one, or I never really thought about one, but every time I heard ashtray or saw an ashtray, what do you think of? You think of, well, we grew up in the 90s, right? The 80s. That's, that's, uh, I think that's about my grandma. Of, I think about my grandma. Yeah, or your grandma or your friend's parents coming by and smoking cigarettes in your house, basically, or the bowling alley or something. I don't know. So, yeah, the, the image it conjures in my mind is not one that's, like, fond. Um, but by the time you turn it into a cannabis device and you're tapping out your joint in there and not getting your ash everywhere, it's actually a really wonderful thing. I'm a cigar smoker. So like, uh, ashtrays have been in my world for a while and, and it, like, I'm constantly looking out for at yard sales and whatnot for like a vintage ashtray on a stand with like a really, really wide basin. Because when I'm out on the porch smoking stogies, it's great to have like a, a really auspicious place to, to lay it to, to rest while you're taking a little sip of, uh, you know, a nice 10-year bourbon, maybe a whistle pig. Who knows? Yeah. Well, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas, Dan. What's that? A fedora, you trench coat kid. Okay. Well, judging. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Oh, Dan. Well, listen, the snow has started to fall. Um, I don't know how you're you're sitting in Toronto, but it's freezing cold outside. Mm -hmm. And it's the time of year where we talk about the weather. I think last year there was three or four episodes where... (laughs) Uh, we talked about batteries not starting, and we talked about de-icing, and we talked about shoveling your driveway, and mm-hmm. we talked about having a, an appropriate brush for chipping the ice off your windshield, and all of those were spirited, wonderful conversations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing to do with the subject matter no. of our uh, of our now. But what I will say is, is it's the cozy season, Dan. It is. I got I've got stockings hung on my mantelpiece. Yeah. The house always smells like nutmeg and cloves. Sure. There's a, there's a wreath on my front door. And when the weather starts turning cold and the leaves have all fallen, 
I call it the cozy season, and that's when I like to snuggle up with my... How do I put this? I was going to say something. Words, usually. Usually words. That's when I like to snuggle up with my safety blanket, I think. That's the word. You have a safety words. blanket? <laughs> is it fire, re- is it fire is retardant? It, I was... <laughs> <laughs> that's when i like to put on my robe <laughs> i take my i take my pipe out and put on my 30 pound weighted anxiety blanket and bring my my dog over for a nice lay down <laughs> listen a weighted anxiety blanket sounds wonderful sounds wonderful sounds great I, it's like the blanket that gives you a hug yeah well, I was just, I'm trying to find like a, like a warm and Tolkien-esque way to say games that I like to play in the cozy season, but I'm just, I'm not getting there. Can I, can I try? Sure, please, take a short, take a shortcut at it. The frost has started to kiss the windows, and mother's finished baking breakfast. <laughs> okay, it's already gone off the, off the, off the rails. Hold on. Mother is baking breakfast. She's baking breakfast. Please, try again. You know how you bake. Yeah. When a nip enters the air and you retreat to your domicile to spend some time with your digital friends, that's when you know it's Christmas and all that's there is to wait for Kringle to bring you new games. And then you say, it's about time. I hope you bought two. I'm not sharing. All right. I like it. Well done. Cozy games for the holidays, Dan. I figured I'd, uh, I'd, I'd throw it out there. What are the, uh, what are the Christmas time festive video game traditions that you've got in your home. What do you what do you gravitate towards this time of year? It seems like every year um I receive a Soul Calibur entry and that's great because it's the perfect time to slide that disc into the tray and then to challenge your siblings to uh death combat. Uh and it, you know if if you have like a cadre of friends or family that play uh, any particular game for me it's Soul Calibur the Christmas is the perfect time to show down against e- like each other cuz it it's like equal parts oh. merriment and you know um competition that ends in fatalities you know what i mean Yeah i know exactly what you mean um that's interesting actually i mean i get it cuz you've got you know a tradition of siblings and people around but I was an only child mm-hmm. then so <laughs> when, when, this is it's actually too perfect because when I was uh, when I was a young lad growing up and indeed every time the season turns from that warm kind of balmy mid-September to when the leaves start falling I get this little itch to play MMOs and connect with the outside world because <laughs> as a young lad I was snowed into my home and had no friends uh, to speak of unless I was willing to dig my mother's car out for a drive mm-hmm. so um, yeah so MMOs MMOs are kind of my cozy season, uh, seasonal pleasure. And it's almost, it's like clockwork. You know, I rake up the leaves, put on the storm shutters, crank the heat up for the first time in the year. And all of a sudden something deep inside me asks, what MMO are we playing this season? Mm -hmm. And this year it's Lord of the Rings Online, Dan. This year I have returned. Oh, our old friend. Yeah, our old friend in Middle Earth. And I'm sure you have something uh, piercing and damning to say at the same time as uh, I've shared with you this joy did you you brought the bard of brie out of retirement is that what's happened no 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 rolled a new character with uh with my lovely wife um i'm going lore master yeah so uh you know a gandalf kind of fellow and sure. she's uh unsu- unsurprisingly chosen a hunter yeah as is the tradition yeah mm-hmm. get that bow in there um but yeah you know it, lord of the rings uh, i'm sure um you'll share is a game that you and i played in like 2007 
Um, and I was really excited about it. And then you jumped in and we were having a great time until, I don't know, don't know what happened at the time, but I, I kind of bounced off of it and you continued on in loneliness for about a year and a half, two years. I think that you played a total of eight days. And by that time, uh, I had brought my defender, Scaffblod, um, to level 30. You were uh, sort of uh, lollygagging at level 11 or something. And uh, I quickly formed a guild, and I got like eight of my other buddies on. And yeah, we, we went for quite some time. It's a good, it was a fun game. We had a great time. Yeah, and Lord of the Rings has chugged along quite a bit since then. So that would have been, um, that was pretty early days, I think shortly after Moria or something. You know, Lord of the Rings has has turned into, it's it's a free-to-play game now. Um, it's no longer produced by Turbine, which was the original developer. It's been purchased and is being run by a team called Standing Stone Games. And man, they just released another expansion last week. Wow. Which is crazy. Yeah, because the expansion before that one was actually... Um, was actually uh, Mordor. There was some some Mordor elements to it, and this one is uh, this one is Angmar. And you know the the game itself follows loosely along with the journey of the Fellowship. So I haven't gotten that deep into it, but you know there's there's all the familiar characters are scattered about the world. But this team has actually created Tolkien's world in what many agree to be one of the closest representations that could have been imagined at the time and even now, right? The massive, it's a massive, massive map. I think it takes like an hour and change, don't quote me, but an hour and change to have walk across the map, which is substantial for a, an MMO. And, you know, it's very faithful to the source, which is not necessarily the movies, but actually the uh, the books. So, you know, if you're a Tolkien fan, there's no better way to like live in Middle Earth for a little bit than playing Lord of the Rings. And although the graphics are from 2007, so they're obviously not as cutting edge as like a Final Fantasy 14 or something like that, it still holds up, man. It still holds up. It's It's got some really beautiful like vistas and you visit the Shire and it's like warm and inviting and you know, you walk into Bree for the first time and it's really, you know, awe-inspiring. So this is a very cool game with lots of content. You probably play it for, I don't know, the next five years and maybe not even hit level cap. It's uh, just one of those games I plan on chipping through in these cold winter months. Yeah, man, it, it, that game was a pleasure to explore and I, I hung on to it for a while and, and really enjoyed the time with We may see Scaffblod uh, ride again. <laughs> Yeah, I like it, man. I'll make you a deal. I checked, I, I logged on yesterday and looked through my friends list, and I saw that, of course, you were there, um, and you are level 75, my friend. That's correct. Today, uh, the level cap is 130, so you have a little ways to go, um, but if I should reach uh, the lofty heights of level 75, I think we have to make a gentleman's agreement that you will once again log into Lord of the Rings. That is a deal. Beautiful. Beautiful. I will see you in Middle Earth, friend. Hmm, perfect. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to uh, I want to move on here, but there is one other thing I wanted to mention, Dan, and it kind of took me by surprise, but I'm digging it. Have you seen Leafly's new uh, Leafly's new plan for categorizing cannabis? I know, but I saw this in the show notes, and I'm very curious. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if you've been listening to the Purple Dungeon Squid for the last two years, you know that we reference Leafly on just about every single episode. Um, it's where we get all of our strain information. And it's where we uh, often will read what users are saying about the strains that we're trying. And, um, you know, what I have to say about Leafly is that it is undoubtedly the place where at least North America is getting their information about cannabis. I don't think that there's any other site out there that has the, uh, the deep library of not only reviews, but also of strain entries. However, like, you know, most 
cannabis, most cannabis references, Leafly forever has been referring to strains as either sativa or indica or hybrid, right? You following me? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Leafly has come out with what they're calling the new cannabis guide. And so they're taking all of the strains and they're actually breaking them down based on terpene. Because what Leafly is saying is that the terpene profile of the strain actually has more to do with the way that it hits you um, and the, the experience you're going to have with the strain than, for example, uh, sativa, indica, or hybrid. And in my experience, that's been true. Because, you know, most people think, I mean, you know, when you when you hear sativa or indica, what do you think, Dan? Like upper and downer, you know, the sweet release couch lock of a uh, an indica or the happy excited of a sativa. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, the the new um, premise that Leafly is bringing is that, well, yes, there's sativa and indica, but what really determines the experience is the terpene profile of the strain. And, you know, the biggest challenge, the biggest barrier to customers adopting, you know, a terpene profile for a strain is that the terpenes have some complicated names. Let's uh, let's play a little terpene, a little terpene roulette, Dan. How many terpenes can you name off the top of your head in the next 10 seconds? Go. Langalool, uh, phytokylene, karyophylline. Boy, there's others for sure. Chair, uh, chair, mm, nope. <laughs> That's going to be an eh. What was that? Lingalool? <laughs> Lingal. That's one. <laughs> I like that. Listen, man. You, Come you, on. Probably a lot better. A lot, a lot better than I would have done, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Um, so you got linalool. You got pinene. Uh, you got yes. caryophylline. 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 No, it's caryophylline. Fuck yourself. It's, it's a, a good caryophylline. But anyway. That uh, caryophylline sounds like your neighbor. She likes to read books and, and pet her cats. <laughs> uh, she may have anti-inflammatory effects. Uh, humulene, myrcene. So, you know, uh, it very quickly becomes clear that we've been talking about weed forever, and we've been naming these these terpenes for a good long while, and none of it is super conducive to me remembering it and slash or using it in any usable fashion. And so what's pretty beautiful about this is they're color coding the, um, the terpenes and presenting them in a flower. And the flower is just like this little designy thing that is um, comprised of like a nucleus, you could say, or like the center of a flower, and then a bunch of petals. And the center of the flower is colored to look like the terpene that it belongs to, the primary terpene. And then the petals gradually get smaller at the edges to show you the secondary and, and tertiary terpenes. It may sound kind of complex, but if you visually look at it, as if there's any other way that you could look at something other than visually, maybe if you smoke enough weed. But if you look at the way that they're representing it, it makes it very easy to associate strains. I'll give you an example. A lot of strains are myrcene dominant. And myrcene has been uh, uh, said, or many experience myrcene, in a way that makes you sleepy, right? Or gives you that couch lock effect. In fact, it's featured in a lot of strains that do give you that couch lock effect. But it may hit me in a different way than it hits you. What's neat is, is that you and I can both try a myrcene dominant strain. We can go both find a blue strain. And if you don't like it, you can go try a different color of strain. 
And instead of being like, oh, I tried weed and I didn't like it because it made me anxious or, oh, I tried sativas and I didn't like it because it gave me anxiety or, oh, I tried indicas and I didn't like it because it made me hungry and sleepy. It's like, okay, I tried the blue ones. I tried myrcene and that kind of made me too sluggish and I didn't like it. So I'm going to go over here and I'm going to try terpinaline, which is, um, you know, known to, uh, sorry, terpinaline, I believe. Uh, oh, let me give you a different one. <laughs> Caryophylline, <laughs> which, like I said before, may have anti-inflammatory effects, right? And may hit you in a different way. And if I like that caryophylline dominant one, that purple flower, right? Now I found my purple flower and you found your blue category flower and they might both be indicas. So you can see the problem is if we simplify things into indica, you may find the one you like because it's mercine dominant and I may try a similar indica and it's mercine dominant and I hate it, you know? So now I try a new dominant terpene. I try caryophylline and it's great. And if I like it, now the other options are I can look at those secondary and tertiary terpenes and I can start trying other purple flowers that have maybe a little bit of myrcene in them. Oh, I didn't like that. So I'm going to go over here and try one that had a little limonene in them. And you can start to kind of go down the rabbit hole of, hey, let me try some other strains that are similar to the ones that I like based off of this color profile. So I know it sounds kind of complex, but it creates this whole like subsection of strains that you can start picking your way through because before with sativa and indica, it's just like, okay, I, I guess I like indicas. Let me try everyone and see which ones hit me the right way. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. This is the cool effect of when you legalize something and you let labs and botanists to get involved and speak about it openly and do, you know, uh, uh, sponsored research. You get this, this great information that actually makes the journey into the flower a lot easier and you can really key into not only what you like, but maybe the thing that gives you the effect that you're looking toward. Like, they're pining specifically is supposed to be a bronchiodilator that's you know uh i will make the jump and say perhaps uh good for breathing issues now uh, obviously if you're smoking it those two things can work against each other but if that's something you're targeting fantastic yeah that's i mean that's and that's cool i actually had no idea about that with pining the thing is is that cannabis is so challenging to deal with because it's so individual like the reality is, is most of us if we drink a bottle of wine are going to be drunk and feeling drunk feels pretty much the same from what we can tell between person to person. But there are so many dimensions to cannabis that, and they all hit everybody slightly differently, that finding a, a common point of reference is almost impossible. So I think that it's going to take a little while for this color-coded system to actually, you know, to actually take hold. I'm hoping that it will. Because if anyone can do it, it's Leafly. It's where everybody goes. So it's not like, you know, some independent project that's put this together. This is Leafly. We're already all there. Right. We all have the app. You're so right. I'm going to have to stop you about your alcohol comparison, because I think that it's very clear, um, you know, having a red wine will leave you feeling differently than having scotch uh, or gin. I think that alcohol is very similar in its effects to cannabis about how you feel uh, depending on what you're drinking. And uh, I think you and I will have to sit down over a couple cocktails and talk about some of the some of the impacts some of the warming effects. You know, you're totally right about that. And, and, you know, it's not an alcohol podcast, so I, I, I don't know much about it. And, you know, there's definitely probably some science behind it. Definitely, probably some science. Yeah, we should look into it. It's, it's an interesting thing to compare. But in as much as we discuss cannabis and its unique effects on each person and how it varies from person to person, like I've heard, you know, for me, I, I don't 
I don't really know the distinction between alcohol. I just kind of feel like drunk is drunk. But, you know, I've heard some people experience whiskey and it makes them either energetic or violent, right? Like that's a thing that can happen if you drink too much whiskey. So um, possibly that there's a, there's an analogy to cannabis in there somewhere. But again, in any way or in any case, because cannabis has so many different strains and so many different ways of expressing itself. And, you know, the same plant can be a totally different experience for two separate people. Um, I think this is a really useful point of reference so that people can start jumping into cannabis and not immediately dismissing it. If it gives them a bad experience, if they have one that makes them a little bit anxious or something like that, you don't have to assume that it's going to be every cannabis flower you ever consume, maybe it's just, you know, the caryophylline dominant ones just don't have the right effect on you. So you move over to mercy. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. And uh, a lot of people get put off by that. It's one thing, and it's a little bit of a separate issue. I hear so often as people that had tried pot once, is they go, ah, I didn't feel anything. <laughs> Which there seems to be this... Yeah, that I never get. (laughs) There seems to be an effect where some people don't feel anything the first time, and I I guess that's fairly common. But dropping down into what we're talking about, yeah, some people have a... a, Like, if you pick your worst cannabis experience, and anyone who's been smoking for any time, a period of time, has had a bad cannabis experience, and make that your first one, you may never have come back to the well. So having some classifications to know, okay, this isn't the right one for me, and you draw a giant X... Sometimes knowing what you want is a big part of that is knowing what you don't want. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And, you know, I'd have to question just not feeling anything at all. Like, I'm not calling anybody out. Maybe that's a thing. I definitely... I've heard it. I've heard it literally hundreds of times, you know. uh, But I just have to ask, like, is that someone who maybe didn't inhale it? Like, I've literally watched someone try and consume cannabis for the first time and they blew into a bong. You know what I mean? Like, there's just... There's, there's definitely some some user adoption that needs to happen in order to get the thing... In ya, you know. We should commit to the next podcast to do a little bit of a, a medium dive into why some people don't feel something the first time, because I know there's some science behind that, and maybe speaking to it. I think that's wise. I think it's wise as well, Daniel. Very cool. Well, listen, go check out the Leafly thing. Um, we say it because we like it. We say it because we like Leafly. They've been, you know, pretty important to the podcast for a good long while. So they're rolling out a new thing, and I really believe in it. Go check out Leafly. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I can't remember my segue. It's been so damn long. Sponsors. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's really funny. Um, anyhow, Dan, I think we should uh, probably cut it over here. Uh, this episode of Purple Dungeon Squid brought to you by Weed and Video Games. Weed and Video Games. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. This episode's also brought to you by Heavy Metal Tuna. Are you getting tired about the details of your life wearing you down? The boss is waiting for his report, and you know those taxes are coming due. Forget all those nitty-gritties with Heavy Metal Tuna. You'll forget your kids' names. When you were born, you will forget the first kiss with your wife and all the trauma you've endured. Please enjoy Heavy Metal Tuna. Oh, Jesus. I had no idea where you are going with that. But I'm so glad you did. Uh, brought to you by Gluten-Free Vaporization. You're in ketosis, but God darn, every time that you vape, it's like a cinnamon bun into your gut. Come join us and try gluten-free vaporization while on the treadmill. You'll be losing those pounds and enjoying a nice pina colada vape. <laughs> Boy, I really wish weed could help you lose weight. That'd be awesome. It'd be it? great. Especially considering all the munchies afterwards. Mm-hmm. Are, you, are you a muncher, Dan? Does, it, does weed put you into that, into that food uh, vicious hunt? Highly contextual. Um, I have been known to cook up a midnight snack of whatever's in the fridge in the wee hours in the morning, but it's not the typical. It's not the typical for me. 
Yeah, I mean, I think we all have that moment of finding like tortilla shells, some tomato sauce, and like an old hunk of salami and making pizza. But uh, but yeah, I'm a snacker. I'm a snacker. Guilty as charged. Uh, brought to you by Putting on Weight for the Winter. Did you find a partner over the summer? Sure you did. Now glaze into each other's eyes while you hold hands and walk into the new phenomenon known as sweatpants. It's winter and we're getting fat. <laughs> I like that you said glaze into the eyes. I feel like that was a donut joke. It was. <laughs> well played. Um, finally, Purple Dungeon Squid brought to you by Lint in Your Silly Buddy. What is what's this? <laughs> I don't know. I was what, having a dad moment. Lint, what, lint like dryer lint and silly putty like the toy? Like, you know when you get silly putty? Yeah. And it gets like stuff in it and it's not as fun anymore uh, i my my touchstone for that is you know that um like elastic gooey hand that you got out of like a uh, yes like a, a vending machine and of and course. like that's that's fun for the first five minutes and then like you come back to it it's like covered in hair and like crumbs from inside the the car seats that's what we're talking about that's what we're talking about i don't know if i can make a joke about that <laughs> i think no we talked about it ad nauseum if you have any video games you want us to play or you want to comment on anything you hear on this show, feel free to send an email to Dan directly, not me. Or email us at purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Until then, we'll never stop. I won't stop. Andy, do you remember that time where I gave out my email address and you almost lost your mind? <laughs> it wasn't a team move, Dan. <laughs> it wasn't a team move, but uh, it hurt you more than I thought it would. And I made a note, Andy sensitive to being left out and i put it in my burn journal listen man as a young lad trapped in a winter snowstorm in my own house trying to make human connection through massively multiplayer online rpgs you should have known better i should have known better i have a burn journal uh, and in your category there's a bunch of good middle burns and a couple light burns but i have one burn that's been sitting there for like six years that just says nuclear option above it because i think i think you might i think it might turn you to dust so i just i've never quite reached <laughs> down for it but i've like i've pictured myself saying it to you eight or nine times but i'm like no <laughs> listen dan if we ever get to episode 500, I want you to unsheath that thing. Oh, it's so good. It's it's a counterpunch, is, which is great. Because Andy likes to make jokes about my mom all the time. And like it, it gives him like a kind of energy, so I kind of allow it to happen. Sometimes I hit him back a little bit, but I have this one nuclear option that's a counterpunch to that. But I have to leave the glass over it because I don't think the friendship would survive. And in my mind, I say it in front of people, like there's people in the room. So because it only really works if like there's a bunch of people there. It's such a good burn. You need to have people go, oh, like as you drop it. Yeah. Well, your mom only really works if there's people in the room also. Oh, Dan, 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 Dan. Yeah, buddy. Dan. Yeah. It's been a while, Dan. It's been a long while since we rocked and rolled. You can tell we almost forgot how to do this. Yeah, I definitely forgot how to do this. This is okay. It's only been a couple weeks, but hey, it's been a couple weed weeks. All right. Well, what I, as I'm... Uh, ah. <laughs> Finding my foot. What are we talking about today, Andy? <laughs> what are we talking about today, Daniel? What, what games Ooh. did you play? Yeah, as I mentioned, I was on uh, the cruise playing Shovel Knight. So, uh, for those of you that don't know, Shovel Knight is an old-ass title. This is from, 20, I want to say, 2014 or something like that. And it's one of those games, you know what I'm talking about, Dan? Like, a game that gets mentioned a lot. And it's mm -hmm. all, all over the place. And people refer to it often. And it's just part of the gaming pantheon. 
And eventually you just start nodding along when people reference it, but you've never actually played it. That's what Shovel Knight was to me. Right. And I've been on a little bit of tour de force with my 3DS. As I mentioned, I took it to Amsterdam and I got it all stickered up. It was one of those moments where I went from having like, you know, the 3DS, nice big screen, $200 peripheral I bought whenever five years ago or something like that to like, okay, this is now a thing that's obsolete and I'm going to just cover it in stickers and extract every last drop of fun out of it before it's a relic, right? It's entered that phase of its life. It's no longer a shiny new toy. Now it's like worn in. You know what I mean? Um, So I decided to try Shovel Knight on the 3DS. And I'm so glad I did because despite the fact that this is for the Switch, uh, this is for pretty much every platform known to man at this point, Shovel Knight um, on the 3DS was a real treat because the 3D is actually good, which is rare. I don't think there's any other games I've said that about. What are you doing over there? It's 3D. Sorry, I'm like preparing my weed to smoke. I apologize. Yeah, it sounds like you're uh, torturing and maiming a small animal. I just know you're about to talk for 30 minutes, so I'm like prepping myself. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) You're a real prick, Dan. Don't you want to hear about Shovel Knight? I do. I do want to hear about Shovel Knight so desperately. I didn't know it was in 3D. That's so cool. I'd only played it on PC with my brother because this is a game they've constantly added things to. One of the things they added added to it was a, a multiplayer feature, and it was a blast. Oh, are you sure you're thinking of Shovel Knight? Yeah. Multiplayer Shovel Knight? Wow, I had no idea. Boom. That is incredible. The Shovel of Justice. Yeah, that's amazing. I would love to try that out because to be honest with you, Shovel Knight has very quickly become one of my favorite games. Now, I imagine that this is not an uncommon story, but if you haven't picked it up and if it passed you by like it did to me, please check it out. Let me give you the Coles notes on this. So this is a um, Metroidvania-style uh, 2D pixel side-scrolling game. You, you already know what it looks like. But what's amazing about this game is the actual gameplay itself is among the tightest I've ever had from like a 2D side-scroller. So what I mean by that is, um, well, probably the best game to compare it to would be like Mega Man. Because this is a game that gives you more options as you progress. You unlock new weapons, uh, you unlock um, new abilities, and all of this happens with an overland map that unlocks as the player naturally defeats bosses and earns new abilities from those bosses, right? Right. But the thing is, is the the world actually the world map. Whereas in you know. Uh, Mega Man, for example, things just feel like, oh, you're going to a stage, right? You're going to a stage, you're going to a new spot. The world map um, makes the whole world of Shovel Knight feel really connected. And what I found interesting about Shovel Knight was it's got like a goofy connotation. Like you're a knight that walks around with a shovel. Um, Most of the enemies that you're fighting are somewhat goofy. But, uh, you know, it's whimsical but cool. You know, so it's got this kind of goofy angle, but by the time you get into the Fantasyland Overland map, you combine the 2D pixel art, there's like a town to visit, and there's characters to talk to in the town. It's just serious enough, like it just establishes the lore and the fiction enough that you feel invested in the world, while it's still being lighthearted enough that you can shut the the game and walk away and come back to it without feeling like you need to reinvest yourself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and you're right. It's like, hey... Knights don't use shovels, but they don't treat it like it's a silly thing. They take it down the serious route, which I appreciate the straight faced sort of delivery. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, with the stages, so the levels that you go through and they again, they really do feel like they're part of the 
overland map air quotes, right? You'll go to a place and this is the ice level. This is the cave level. This is the, that's fine and dandy, but it all does feel like it fits together. And there's a couple spots along the way that you can stop at. For example, I can't remember the name of it, but there's a giant fish that gives you buffs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the buff fish. You just, you st- the buff fish, sure. You stop there every now and again and you refill your buffs. And it, there's just, there's a rhythm to interacting with the game world that feels really, despite the fact that you're going from stage to stage, they've created a really lively place to do that through. And every time you go to a new level, it introduces one or two new mechanics, um, either through like, you know, new enemies or things that uh, attack you in a different and new innovative way, or the environment, like, I don't know, they'll create a new mechanic where you have to jump down on top of a spell book and it'll create all these floating platforms that disappear after a little while. It's a basic one, but it's just a new mechanic that happens in one of the levels, right? Um, And the introduction of those mechanics, when you're talking about a 2D side-scroller, a platformer, you know, it's, it's hard to really nail down what makes each one either special or a dud. But the way that they introduce those new mechanics feels consistent enough, right, um, in difficulty and in difficulty curve to not be disorienting or unfair. So you can challenge the established skill that you're building up as you go through the game without it ever just being a hard wall that you knock into. That makes a ton of sense. And you got to give it to these guys because when you tap into such a well-worn type of game like your your Metroidvania and really heavy on the Castlevania side, it can very much feel samey, but this game has such a, a unique art style. It's both simplistic and new to the eye and all the iterations of gameplay like you're talking about, they really nailed it. And these are guys that have been giving out tons of free content. I I think the game may have been kickstarted. I'm not sure. But I do know from the initial purchase, they have not asked for any more money. They've just kept rolling out content for years and years and years. Part of that is because they did so very well on sales. Um, They did really, really well. But they're only now saying, okay, I think with the last release, they said, okay, that's the last of the free Shovel Knight stuff. We're going to start working on something else. Yeah, well, I'll talk about that in a second because there was something announced at PAX recently. Um, but just to kind of button it up on on Shovel Knight, you know, I think that most Castlevania, uh, Metroid, Mega Man style games kind of thrive on the bosses. And um, this game has sweet bosses. Like, for sure you're going to bash your head against a wall for the first 15 times of doing the boss. But... You know, the boss is a rhythm that you need to learn. Um, and the pattern, although you, I'll give you an example, you need to make your way through two thirds or, or, you know, half of the fight to see the new mechanics. And oftentimes that's where you'll trip up and, and die, right? Oh, things have changed. I didn't adapt quick enough. You know, I'm out. The checkpoint is, as you would hope, right before the boss. And getting to that point is always really. I, hard to describe because fun is such a like an ethereal term but um it's really enjoyable the rhythm of the bosses feels really great you're never like cheesing it you know what i mean you're never Mm -hmm. in a corner somewhere or trying to you know manipulate the game mechanics so you can avoid them you're always having to um uh understand the rhythm and play almost flawlessly 
And because of the way that the graphics portray the action that's happening on the screen, it's really easy to understand what the rhythm is, but really hard to execute it. So it creates a really fun boss fight um, that, yeah, you're going you're gonna to probably have to try 10, 15 times to get a handle on it. But once you beat it, it's almost always by the skin of your teeth, and it's always super satisfying. There was not one boss in that game that I was like, oh, that was too easy, or oh, that was a bit of a letdown. Every single one was, was a ton of fun. Uh, did you have a similar experience? Or? All I could really keep coming back to is these guys are clearly scholars of the genre. They understand the game, you know, and it really becomes clear in, in the boss fights. Like you say, they're unique and challenging without feeling like it's being overly cruel to you or affording you any opportunities to just, like you say, cheese it. Like it, these are guys that know their stuff and put together a game that, that plays really clean. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. The The money mechanic in the game is really cool. So as you go through the levels, you're basically always either collecting gold, and every time you die, you go back to a checkpoint, but you lose a substantial chunk of your money, right? And so it's always like, okay, you can die once, but make it back to your body so you can get that gold, or else it's gone again if you die before retrieving it. So that mechanic is really neat because it doesn't penalize death too heavily. If you can get back to your body without dying again, it's really not an issue. It's just time you've lost, but it creates some stakes for getting back there because if you lose a big chunk of gold, it sucks. Gold is used to buy in a simple fashion. After you exit a stage, you can go back to town and you can buy more health or you can buy more mana or you can buy new weapons and armor and abilities, skills and stuff. Um, so you want to have the gold. It's really critical to get it. However, if you're just dying a lot in the level, it's never going to punish you by taking you all the way back to the beginning of the level. You're just not going to have a lot of gold when you get through it. So that mechanic I really loved, but what's really beautiful about it is usually there's between five and eight checkpoints in a level and you can actually break the checkpoint for like a huge gold bonus. So you just smash that checkpoint, it'll get rid of the checkpoint permanently, but you get this huge gold bonus. So if you want to like hardcore mode this thing and get a ton of gold, you just smash the checkpoints and work your way through without dying. So I found that that was also a really cool little mini game you could do along the way. I will tell you what was disappointing though, and I don't know if you found this too, Dan, but the weapons and armor were not very good. The weapons didn't really provide any measurable benefits, the, like a new attacks or anything like that. There was one new attack, which I think was like a charge up. And the armor was, I don't know, it was uninspired. There, I think I ended up getting the mage coat, which increases your mana and decreases your health. Um, there's another one that, uh, yeah, I think it just literally increases your, your health and makes you slower or something like that. It, it just really kind of uninspired. I was hoping for like armor that would give you new abilities. You could throw some fireballs or turn into something new or just some other neat ideas. And I was hoping for weapons that could, you know, in, as in any, what's, what's that new roguelike that we both played? Oh God, dead, dead cells. Yeah. I mean, there was 8 billion different weapons in that game. Yeah. You, you know, I would have hoped that shovel, shovel knight could have, if they're keeping the shovel, fine, but at least iterated on it a little bit. Um, so I was a little disappointed by that. Um, I don't know. What was your experience there? Well, I noticed it, too, that the armor weapons seemed to, seemed to be trading A for B. There wasn't a lot of unlocking of new modalities of play. Uh, so, yeah, I noticed that. And I, I got to think that that's just for balance, you know, because you, you touched on the the feeling that it fe everything felt challenging um you know but not overwhelming necessarily and not too easy i think if you start rolling out a bunch of new abilities it'd be harder to balance those encounters that's that's sort of my devil's advocate on that one 
Yeah, I agree with you. And I think that they actually manage the unlock game really well by making the unlocks tied to, similar to Mega Man, right? You beat a boss, you get a new ability. It's the same thing here, really, except oftentimes you're either paying for that new ability in the gold shop, um, and it only unlocks after you beat a certain boss. So functionally, it's tied to the defeat of the boss, but because of that gold mechanic, it still feels like you've purchased a new ability. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there's a little bit of messing around with it, but I agree it's probably for balance purposes. Uh, the other element is throughout the game, you can collect all these little bard songs, which I thought was just such a cool touch because the the eight bit music is or what, what do you call it chip tune music i don't know whatever the whatever however you want to frame the music in an eight bit game or a pixel game excuse me um the the mute you could co- you can collect i think 50 or 60 maybe more little scrolls that are in hard to reach places or in little easter egg places that you can take back to town to get a gold bonus from the bard and he also will then play you that song if you go back to him and ask him to so I thought that was a really cool little collectible mechanic. I wish there had been a little bit more um, involved in that, but it is cool that you can go back and change the music by finding the music throughout the game. Yeah, right. I dig. Yeah. Anyway, Shovel Knight is an automatic pickup. If you have not played it, play the damn game. It's super good. I would uh, I would put that together with a nice little granddaddy purple um, in a joint because it's Shovel Knight and he's a tough guy. Um, you know, it's an excellent, like, if you're going through a hectic, busy time of your life and you want to just be able to jump in and out of a game without having to do much like reinvestment and at the same time have a nice, rich experience and see some beautiful visuals, Shovel Knight is hands down my choice. And uh, they just released a new Shovel Knight Dig um, game announcement. So the game is called Shovel Knight Dig. It was announced at PAX. And it's different. It's a spelunky kind of roguelike game uh, where instead of um, platforming from left to right across the game, you're actually digging deeper into the earth. Uh, And it looks, yeah, it looks spectacular. Uh, I hope that it's got the same kind of mechanics and the same kind of feel as the current Shovel Knight. But I just, I like the fact that they went in a different direction on this. They didn't just do the same thing, but with more bosses. Yeah, absolutely. Just sort of switch it up a bit. Fresh feeling. Yeah. Well, that's cool, Dan. That's cool. I hear you uh, I hear you jumped into the Outer Worlds, buddy. So why don't you take it away? Let us know how that was. I did. I picked this thing up as a pre-order. And uh, just as a footnote, I returned my copy of Borderlands 3 to... Uh, to four, oh, to, scathing! Yeah, to put towards uh, Outer Worlds. I wow. cannot take Borderlands. Uh, I, I know there are people that love it, but it was, it was the same game as the previous Borderlands with no... Like, it just felt so bad. It felt like... It felt like an office chair, uh, you know, with a monitor on it. Again, you're swiveling it around. The guns felt bad. The graphics felt bad. Had that same humor where, like, I open up this outhouse and this outhouse to pick something up and, like, shit sprays out of it. I'm like, haha, that's kind of funny. And then that occurs a 100,000 times in the game. Those outhouses are everywhere. I just, I can't do it. It's not for me. Anyway, this is not a review about uh, Borderlands. So I, I turned that game in. I can't recall. Did you talk about that on the podcast? I don't think I did. I don't think I did. And maybe we'll come back and I'll slam it a bit because I have so many problems with this game. My God, a third of the way to the game in, they introduced this tween character that slowly like takes the story over. And every time I complete a story beat, it's as if I didn't do it. It's like the other NPCs did it. And then they carry it forward. Like it just, it doesn't work for me on any level. So that was a return. Borderlands has largely been the same game for, I guess, almost 10 years now. I've never been so bored with a game within the first 10 minutes where I'm like running into their, you know, world again to on next mission. The same five enemies are running out at me. And I'm like, this sucks. This sucks. 
how did you return this thing? I've never returned a game in my whole life. So please explain to me the process. At EB, if you have a, a certain level of membership, you have a certain amount of days to return it. Um, so I did that. I've returned it within seven or 10 days or whatever it was. And no, I was like, there was no questions. Like the, the clerk didn't even give you a little eyebrow. Like, dude, really? You're returning Borderlands 3 right now? He goes, did, do you have a platinum membership or whatever? And yeah, I'm like, you know that I do. And he's like, all right. Yeah. I'm like, this game, this game's bad. It's real bad. I mean, I would expect some commentary. He didn't even ask you, like, what did you not like about the game? Nothing. Um, I forget. I forget. I think I think he already knew. I think he was already tapped into uh, the disappointment. I, I He's like, did you like the other ones? I'm like, no. And I was, I was giving it a chance. And he's like, yeah, I get it. Wow, that's surprisingly chill. I think what I offered was, I go, it was like, I'm like, am I an NPC in my own game? Because that's what it feels like. The story keeps going along. My decisions don't matter. And the other NPCs act like they take credit for the thing I just did. Like like they had done it. And I'm like, what is this? What is <laughs> Make this? Make me the hero, guys. Come on. Yeah. So, no, and it just doesn't work for me on any level. Listen, Dan, if there's anything that you love, it's a good power fantasy. So God bless you. There you go. So I picked up Outer Worlds. I tossed it in the tray, and I kind of already knew what I was I was dealing with. We're talking about Obsidian Entertainment with Private Division, the same guys that did uh, some of the previous Fallouts. Uh, this bad boy came out for PC, Xbox One, and PlayStation 4. M rating, and it's a role-playing Western-style shooter with absolutely no multiplayer. And as soon as I put it in, I could see the roots of the old Fallout games, but with this pretty veneer of 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 sort of better graphics and a little bit less of a stilted. Every everything was a little bit less stilted, a little more animated. So it had me from the the opening cinematics. So you know, basically, what you do is you find yourself as a character who's lost in transit on a colonist ship bound for the furthest edge of the galaxy, and you awake decades later. Uh, past your arrival time only to find yourself in the midst of deep conspiracy threatening to destroy the Halcyon colony and you sort of are moving around corporate power structures that are vying for control over the region and the people that are just trying to squeeze out survival in that area. And I have to say that I think the thing that Borderlands was going for, kind of that goofy humor where they miss out of worlds hits it. The professor character that revives you, he's like silly, funny in the way that uh, that hits for me. Like it's kind of clever and acerbic. And that kind of humor goes out through through the whole game without mm. going to claptrap levels, right? Yeah, claptrap is my least favorite part of Borderlands. So I'm, you know, the the humor in games thing. It's always a fine line between like annoying and actually funny. Yeah. Out of curiosity, not to not to derail you, but like, are there any other examples of humor in games that you like, just so I can get a sense of kind of where this is at? Boy, a big swing there. What's funny in games? I really like Sam and Max hit the road. That was hilarious to me. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, the Secret of Monkey Island was fucking brilliant. Uh, Full Throttle. I know I'm listing a lot of LucasArts films, point and click adventures here, but the, like those uh, humor in games is is usually maybe a little bit few and far between. But those are the ones that hit me. God of War was funny in its own dry way too. Like just the interactions between Kratos and his son were just brilliant. Did you have something in mind? I, I don't really. You know, humor in games is not something that I often like. Uh, am fond of. I tend to, I guess, like a a more serious game. I'm I'm actually really struggling right now to find, you know, humorous games that I've really enjoyed. I'm sure there's one out there. Or Disco two, Elysium. Know? I got to take a moment to put it out to Disco Elysium for being hilarious. Um, that's a recent point and click adventure game that you know I thought the time of point and click adventures had sunsetted, but the 
alcoholic, mentally sort of fractured, uh, aging cop. It is just so funny in that game, Disco Elysium. If you like a point-click adventure, that is just such a great title. I actually tweeted something out and uh, got a response from the uh, the Disco Elysium guys. So I'm like double on board. I'm a fanboy now. It's it's happened. Nice. This is a game that I couldn't finish because I got 80% of the way through it and ran into a glitch where my partner needed to be present for this conversation I had and I just so happened to not have him with me and now I can't proceed and I can't go back to that conversation. So this is a game that I haven't finished. I'm like actually pouring through the code of the game to see if I can hack the flag to say that he had heard that so I can move ahead. But so far it's been unsuccessful. (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry to hear it, pal. Um, yeah, it sounds like uh, sounds like a solid game. Um, I apologize. I was half listening as I'm sitting here trying to figure out, a, like, am I really so soulless that I, I can't find humor in games? Have I never Andy, played a funny game? This is existential. Andy, Andy, I love you, but this review, it's, it's not about your lack of humor, okay? It's about, <laughs> about our world. Fair enough. Please continue. Go ahead. So anyway, like... I hate to compare it to Fallout so strongly. So it's everything you love about Fallout. You have a, a character that you sort of build out from the beginning, the look, the feel, the facial structures, pick your primary characteristics and attributes. Um, this game breaks it down into further attributes where every time you get a level, you get 10 points and you can put it um, between, uh, you know, melee, which ha- dodge, personality, things like lie, intimidate, persuade, uh, science, medical, and tech. And so I kind of built my guy out to be like a lying, <laughs> uh, shooting tech guy. That was sort of uh, how I went about it. Because I really want to be able to take those dialogue options to take a little bit of skill. And right off the bat, like you were put into a lie check within the first five seconds. And the game intro is so quick. Like it drops you onto planet and puts you into the seat so quick. And you're, what I noticed right away is while the game map felt open world, it really isn't. It's you're kind of dropped into a pen that's pretty large, um, but it's hemmed in, which is neat because it lets the story be contained. And so the very open, you're presented with two different groups with competing interests. And what I noticed about this game is it sets out these problems, but you can go about them so many different ways. And the game is very good at knowing, like preparing itself for the different ways you could do it. So for instance, by the time I got to the second sort of area you drop into, instead of going and talking to all the NPCs and seeing what they want, I ran around to all the little points of interest on the map, you know, killed everybody inside, picked up whatever the things are in there, you know, delete that record, whatever the game offers me to do. I'm just doing, I'm picking this up, I'm doing this thing. And when I go back to the quest giver, he's like, hey, I need you to go do this thing. And I have the option to say, hey, I already do did that. And there's a unique dialogue response for, oh, you already got that thing? Amazing. Like, it doesn't respond like in many games it goes, it forces it to give you that fetch quest. And then you go, talk to them again like oh i have this thing and they're like okay thank you the the way they've written the dialogue they've prepared themselves for all the different ways you could go about things and there's a lot of little nuance in there and that was really refreshing to see yeah that sounds really cool i mean one of the things that i've read and i've not played this game but i've read is that because there's a more narrow focus in this game than even a fallout new vegas or whatever it is um it's an open air quotes open environment in that you can you can go through the story beats and do a little bit of exploration and experience the landscapes but what I'm hearing is is that they've actually taken more time to kind of narrow the focus so they could craft an experience exactly as you said because I mean I think it's true that there's a lot of open world games today that you can choose from and many of them suffer from exactly what you just pointed out which is like a lack of 
connectivity. It just kind of feels like waypoints on a map that you're completing things for. That's really cool that like you did something, you talked to someone, and of course you immediately responded, yeah, I already got that thing, and that created a new dialogue tree. It's little details like that that actually really make a big difference, I think. Yeah, and the, the first couple quest bumps are linear. You kind of have to do them in, in kind of an order, but after that, the galaxy slowly opens up and you can kind of do it as you like. It doesn't. It's not a, a linear path all the way through, although there's some clearly some main story quests that you need to come back to to push the story along. I kind of found myself going at my own pace and completing things in the order I wanted to complete them in and I noticed there's just like there's so many there's so much nuance you know I I was very conflicted at the first big choice where you're kind of choosing are you going to side with the corporatists or the people that have kind of freed themselves and I had to really weigh it within myself which way I went and I kind of went with I was siding with the corporatists because everyone would pretty much die or do badly if I side with the other one, the, f- the more free people. So I sided with the corporatists, but then convinced the free people to come back as an uh, into the corporatist structure as long as the main guy resigned. And there was like this middle path that wasn't even really presented, but you could thread it with the right choices. And I thought that was amazing. And it wasn't like, they didn't go A, B, or C, they went A or B, and then you can kind of thread C in there um, with the correct actions and skill checks and having the right people in your party. And I, I thought that was just great. Yeah, that is really neat. And, you know, I think back to games that are, were maybe even the original games we looked at for branching dialogue and, you know, repercussions to the environment based on the choices you make. And you think back to like a KOTOR, right? Like Knights of the Old Republic was that first benchmark of, okay, you have different branching dialogue trees and actually choosing to say this to this person right now means that later on they're going to get shot in the face with a blaster. As games have kind of evolved and technology has gotten better and we've got these massive sprawling online or sort massive sprawling games and also, you know, those kind of tight curated games with that are super story focused like Wolfenstein for example that are very much on rails there's also room for this kind of middle ground the Knights of the Old Republic kind of um, games that also expand on those mechanics because of the availability of new technology and create I, I think this is probably from what I'm hearing the closest to the sweet spot of like tailored story focused RPG and open world. It sounds like it kind of is right down the fairway on that. Yeah, it does balance a lot of those things really well. Uh, It also has introduced a new sort of flaw system. If you do something a number of times, like let's say you fall from high heights or you're constantly sort of sneaking around narrow staircases, if you do something enough, the game will pop up and say, hey, you've been sneaking around edges for a while. Would you like to accept the fear of heights flaw, which means while you're at a high place near the edge, you'll take certain stat negatives to get an automatic perk. So the game offers you a flaw to take a perk that sort of will change it. You really have to consider like, is this going to affect my play style? You know, do I want to get sort of a boon for a bane? I ended up taking up a couple. I passed a lot on a lot of them. Like if you get hit with the energy weapons enough times, like, do you want to be vulnerable to energy weapons? I'm like, no, I definitely <laughs> don't. You know, but I took a couple of them for that that stat bonus. So that was a cool, that's a cool little mechanic. And it's completely optional. You can opt out of all of them if you'd like. 
Dude, I think that's like the coolest mechanic. That's so neat. Right, because flawed characters are fun characters. Like right off the bat, too, I have to say, like the game gives you an, uh, an option to lie about who you are. I don't want to give any spoilers, but it seems like you can lie about who you are taking on this other identity pretty far into the game, except for a couple people who know this person. Um, so you can't fake being them. But I love that it it will let you just sort of continue that. It also, the game gives you a couple options of dialogue where people are asking about uh, your past and it seems like your response solidifies that as your backstory. Oh. Someone asks you, you know, what your job is and, you know, I responded that I'm the captain of the ship, but it, you could say you, you're the you're a janitor. You could say you're a businessman, you're a scientist and that seemed to establish canon of the backstory of your character. Uh, similarly, I think about your family too. I think it establishes as, as canon. It isn't just something your guy's saying. And it, this happens into like not right at the beginning necessarily, but as you go through the game. So I like that. You know, it was wasn't something you established with the character customization screen. It's not just something you're saying. It's something you're kind of. That's so much more close to what you experience, like playing Dungeons and Dragons or something like that, where you kind of build some of your backstory on the fly as it comes to you. I dig that. Man, I mean, you know, it's funny because you, you you look at like, I don't know, like a Dragon Age or you pick your RPG, whatever it might be, even, you know, an Elder Scrolls. You spend a lot of time at the beginning of the game defining, you know, your backstory and picking different branching trees of where you're from and what you're doing and what you're a lot of that feeds into your perks and bonuses. And you forget absolutely all of it the second the game starts, right? It's just about what's happening along the course of the game. Character creation is a distant memory. Um, this is just so much more interesting. You know, you're defining your character's uh, his history and, pardon me, backstory as you're playing. I mean, of course that's more memorable. That makes a ton of sense. I you know, hate to throw it back to Bioware, but like look at Mass Effect. You know, Mass Effect allowed you to create meaningful relationships along the course of the game, and they actually ended up mattering. And this is kind of like doing the same thing. Um, to create an emotional attachment with, like, you know, the character you've created. I think that that's really rad. And I really like what you were saying about the perk system, too, because, I mean, pretty much every stat advancement RPG or FPS or, you know, Bioshock kind of game, the whole game is about, um, you know, acquiring new abilities and getting new skills. And at some point, it's almost like you reach a saturation point, right? You're just getting a bunch of new shit, you're going to collect all the shit, and you're just going to be the guy with all the stuff. It sounds like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like in the outer worlds, you can't really collect all the stuff because you would need to handicap your character so thoroughly to do so that it would be almost unplayable, which in and of itself is an interesting character. That's just damn cool. You might be end up being vulnerable to everything all the time, so that might be a problem. It's a good point. Uh, you know, just touching on a couple other things. Uh, I got to give it to the writing and the vo the dialogue. They, they they did such a great job. The writing is interesting and realistic. The the voice acting is great. The characters are for the most part interesting. I did find that my crew, the people that you pick up as you go, I have been ignoring them a little bit. You know, I picked my couple favorites and I've been rolling with them. They feel they feel a couple of them very generic. And that might just be me. I need to sort of look into them a little bit more. They definitely are sort of pulling from Firefly. Did you ever watch Firefly, uh, Andy? Of course. So a lot of the characters, like the first NPC you pick up, she's very much like the wide-eyed mechanic um, from Firefly. And, and that's kind of neat. There's some neat stuff there. There's a, a vicar you pick up, which is a religious man. He's a little bit 
interesting too but they they do get a little bit generic i am enjoying them i don't know even know what i want from them past that um but that i I feel like there's a little bit of room for improvement there um uh, that would make push it towards you know being a quote-unquote perfect game i don't even know why i said that because boy what is that um yeah (laughs) well just, just on that on that note it's like it's really hard to care about um, NPCs, especially NPCs that are in your party in a video, I, I find in a video game. Because like, A, you often have to micromanage their stuff and you want to focus on your guy and their stuff. And it's it's sometimes like irritating to me. I know that Dragon Age, um, the most recent one, which, which one was Inquisition? it? Inquisition? Dragon Age Inquisition? Yeah. Dragon Age Inquisition. I just, I was annoyed by the volume of characters in that game. There's just too many. Let me focus on my own dude, you know? Yeah. So, and I think that, you know, again, Bioware and Mass Effect was probably the most successful implementation of having NPCs that you don't have to think about. They follow you around. They deal with their own thing. They've got really interesting dialogue and really interesting personalities. That's probably the gold standard. Where would you say this falls between, like, standy, no personality, annoying mechanic to, like, Bioware level um companion like they they do good jobs like you can set their combat style they were smart in the sense they they streamline a lot of things you don't have to worry about the ammo of the gun they're using they'll just do their thing at a certain point you unlock your characters your npc's special abilities where you hit left or right on the d-pad and they'll do a special move in combat you know which i'll touch on combat in a second a little bit more a lot of this game i sort of fell to my own neurosis like i want to pick everything up i'm putting it all on my ship once i found out that i could pickpocket people uh that was a whole thing trying to arrange myself to pickpocket every single person in the game that definitely was a thing i'm breaking in i'm lock picking everything so that that took some time that was definitely a focus for me I was unclear to me for my NPCs if the benefits, all the benefits on the weapons and armor affected them. I, I would have, that would have been great if I could know, do my guys have a stealth statistic? Does me giving them stealth armor making them stealthier? That wasn't clear to me. I would have loved an auto-equip button for them, auto-equip for damage or defense or energy damage. That would have been great. I found myself with a gigantic inventory and you know, the miscellaneous items that were mostly like things you could uh, take, sorry, consumables that would do, give a little stat bonus. I would love if it organized them by stat bonus groups. This gives this type of stat bonus. These All these things gave that type of stat bonus because I just ended up with this huge inventory of stuff that was a little bit mismatched. Like it was hard. They, they did put a couple of things at the top, like health <laughs> health items they put at the top, but then I but just had this. You need to Marie Kondo your ship, dude. You need to let yeah, go anything of anything that doesn't, that's not bringing you joy. <laughs> doesn't spark joy. <laughs> There's a lot not sparking joy there. You're like, I sat there and cataloged my shit for like three days. Wow, man. I, that is dedication. Good God bless. I came across uh, like a lot of unique weapons that weren't better. Like they were unique weapons. They had the unique sort of name and they had a starburst behind them but they weren't better than any of the guns that i had so i was like Hmm. these feel underpowered for sure um so those are some some minor gripes that kind of kind of got to me uh, a little bit i would have loved to see more powerful unique weapons also this game is not a tactical shooter in the truest sense i found that if on normal difficulty it was very easy if I put it up to hard, the fights were a little bit challenging, but some of them were quite unbeatable. I couldn't get past a couple parts on hard, so I had to sort of scale it back. But I found myself doing the same thing, firing my weapon until 
I ran out of ammo in the clip, and as I'm starting to my reload am- animation, triggering my NPC special move, which gets its own anim- animation where it focuses on them, either taking a drink of a beer and then unloading an entire heavy weapon, or you know, smashing a guy with melee. And by the time it's flaps back to me I'm all reloaded and ready to go so I kind of took advantage of that quite a bit so the fights are kind of interesting but they're not tactical you know what I mean it's not like a a really really challenging shooter it's kind of there to be there not to say that I didn't enjoy it but I just it felt like just a little bit of a barrier to travel around the fights were kind of a footnote a little bit and I don't really have a fix for that it's just something I noticed Yeah, I get it. I think that, you know, it's one of the things that the Fallout series is always, I've always not loved. And actually, Bioshock 2 is a great example of these third person kind of FPS RPGs. You know, at some point for me, uh, the, the combat always starts getting repetitive and boring to me. Like even Bioshock, which is crazy because you're getting new abilities, like I mentioned, every three seconds, right? Um, but that game, like, there's, even Elder Scrolls, actually, in third person, it's just there's just something clunky about the combat that that continues to make it hard to get back into that game, and it's challenging because Skyrim and um, you know Bioshock and and um, you know all of these Fallout's they've got such gr- the role playing elements are so fun and they're all so quirky in their own way those three games are very distinct but they've all they've all got um a, a really solid role playing game experience at their core um but the combat turns me off every single time skyrim you know i think that my longest time into that game and as if you remember i've bought that game across like six platforms at this point but it's mm-hmm. not because i've played any one of those copies to 100 plus hours i typically get like 15 hours in and i just fall off Mm -hmm. because I just can't get behind the combat. Fallout 3 was the same thing for me. I never didn't even get Fallout 4 or New Vegas, but Fallout 3, I got like eight hours in. And at first I was loving it. I was loving the role-playing game experience and it was quirky. And I mean, Fallout is, is maybe the best example of good humor in games, but bounced off of it because of the combat. I can remember like going out into the wilderness and trying to snipe out some, you know, bandits or something like that. And the way that things landed, you're shooting the bandit in the head, but it's applying like a generic, you know, hit point reduction based on, it's almost like a quasi RPG. thing. It just didn't work for me. And you compound that with, I think most of those games have the ability to sit down and rest and restore to full health anytime you like. It just, those three things create a challenge and, and a real break in the fiction. Does this one have like a, a rest mechanic? It, it doesn't really. Like you can sleep in beds and on the hardcore mode you do have to or you experience uh, sort of combat fatigue and so your your stats come down. I haven't played on hardcore mode. Um, but what it does have is you're constantly regenerating a little bit at a time. So it, it, they, it, I think that's in an effort to keep the gameplay moving. And I did appreciate that. I'm glad there's not a lot of futzing about. I also should note... Uh, note that like the Pip-Boy tactical, um, you know, combat stopping in Fallout, I should know what that's called. But uh, in this game, it's replaced by uh, Vats. Vats. Thank you. Vats. It's replaced by time dilation, which is a side effect of the chemicals they use to bring you out of the very long cryo sleep that you're in. Then now you can slow down time. Um, And what I find in most battles is right at the beginning, I pop that, I shoot the biggest guy in the head, Um, for all my combat dilation, my time dilation, which is usually like five to 10 shots. 
and maybe it comes back by the end of the battle maybe it doesn't you can pop consumables to return that but it just kind of i really quickly fell into an a very optimized lather rinse repeat combat style uh, very interesting though and would i guess uh, affect the way i play in the hardcore core mode it's not like the regular mode if your npcs go down in the normal mode, they just get up once you win. In the hardcore mode, if they go down, they're dunsies. Oh wow! Like That's for the cool. for the game, so that would be interesting for the uh, the Dark Soul lovers among us. I don't know about that, man. It just sounds like a nightmare to try and defend an AI for a whole game. Yeah, <laughs> like, like you're you're basically just playing AI babysitter the whole game. Nah, nah. You can nope. set them for you can set them for ranged attack only. And not aggressive. I think that's what you'd have to do. And, you know, some people are into that kind of thing. It wasn't, it certainly <laughs> wasn't wait. for me. You guys wait here. I'll go take care of the Raiders. <laughs> yeah. Just make sure nobody comes and shoots me in the back. That would be cool. And, like, the, the enemies are interesting. They visually look interesting. But they really come down to either, they're either a sniper, they're a run-up-in-your-face guy, or they're a normal shooter type, um, or they're a beast, which generally just runs at you. So... I don't. I know there's there's only so much you can do with that. It, it kind of got a little bit rote as well. The combat, although there was one unit I really loved. Uh, some of the raider types have a mechanized unit which looks like the Hulk Buster from uh, Hulk, and nice. this this like mech unit would jump jet jet pack beside you or behind you, which really would make the combat interesting because they you got this mech unit threatening to outflank you and really cause you problems and on when i had it on hard mode it was it was quite challenging and you can you can flip around difficulties as you go which is a nice thing it it, the game really make lets you sort of play and experiment as you like and i I dig that that was that made it really enjoyable yeah i mean like it just again i haven't played it but it sounds like you know when when you mention you know okay long range mid range short range kind of and melee kind of guys to to deal with it, it sounds like the, the complaint is maybe on the side more of the combat's just not that interesting because you know that's those are the dimensions that every game plays with. But you've got you know a, a shooter like Halo. That's a deep cut. When was the last time we saw Halo? Anyway, um, they, the Master Chief Collection has added a couple more things. I haven't played in a while, but let me compare it to say Destiny. Right. Destiny had unique AI types for each of the races, which sort of informed to you how you how you fight them and how they react they were really unique and i dug that that's kind of what it's missing but i I know this isn't the focus of the game so i kind of forgive it on that it's just kind of a note you know it's not a make it or break it for me but it's just combat uh i didn't find myself having to improvise a bunch i kind of found a system that worked and kind of stuck with it yeah makes sense so um, it sounds like it's uh, still a thumbs up from you, or definitely a thumbs up, absolutely. Yeah. And the uh, the ganja is a definite. The world is very beautiful and interesting because it lets you move around planets. The visuals are varied, and you get to look at a bunch of cool stuff uh, at all times. Even like the first thing I did is there's a flower that that it's like this undulating tendrils of white sort of curls. And I got my character right up to it and sort of put my face into it. And you look into the center of this thing and it's just a beautiful thing. You're, it almost looks like you're looking into a visual distortion that you'd look at uh, perhaps on psychedelics. And I'm like, Oh, I like what's going on here. So I I picked, I picked Nebula for my smokable and I, cause I thought that was on point and enjoyed that uh, through my playthrough. I'm about, I think I'm about 70% of the way through the game, by the way. Nice, nice. Okay, yeah, that sounds good, man. I mean, explorative RPGs are usually just right, right up my alley when it comes to games to enjoy with 
cannabis. So that's uh, that's probably one I'll, I'll have to have to snag off you after you're done. There you go, physical copy for the win. Done with video games for this moment, at least, because it's uh, it's time for that smoke sesh, Danny. You feeling me? Let's blast off. Mmm, nebula. It's smoke sesh time. It's smoke sesh time. Da, 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 da. That's just not the jingle we want to go with, Dan. We need a better need a better jingle. It's true, but it's the one we're, we got. It's the one we got. It's the one we deserve. <laughs> it's the one we deserve for sure. It is, um, Dan. It's a smoke sesh. It's the first time I think we've lit up on air for several weeks, and I'm giddy. Yeah. I'm giddy with anticipation. Nobody's been narrating my smoke for too damn long, Dan. And now it's time. So, uh, what are you smoking on today, my friend? Uh, I've dipped back into one of my my collectibles, something I've been holding on to. So I have a good stash of Campagnana, also known as CBD Kush from our friends at Broken Coast. And it is just as peppery and spicy as it was the first time that I dipped into it. Let me just get a nose on it. Oh, yeah. Karyophyllene like the devil in there. A little bit of mycerine on the backbone. And uh, it's just as pretty. Like this thing I've had for about... uh, probably 14 or 15 months the bud is held up in this med container whoa that's serious yeah that's a that's a vintage <laughs> yeah like i have all these i have some of these great things from broken coast that i just i don't want to barrel through so i have to applaud my sweet sweet lady for not uh smoking it uh while i wasn't looking because uh, she also quite enjoyed it um and so this is a cbd kush uh, i do have to run off to work after this so it's it's good for the uh the lighter dosage something i can tread lightly Ooh. upon yeah, this is a one to one. I think it's about eight point five percent THC and seven point five percent CBD. So uh, sounds like you're in for a relaxing time. Yeah, you're really close. Uh, THC seven point eight two, uh, CBD seven point three five, and it it pa- was packaged on February twentieth, twenty eighteen. So it's it's coming up to that one year mark. Nice. Okay. Well, um, what does the buds look like? Um, they're gorgeous. They're uh, very expertly cured. They're sort of the very brown hairs, light green uh, plant material, pretty furry. Um, I, I only have uh, smaller uh, examples left, but it did come as a beautiful full cola, now been cannibalized down to um, loving leavens that I've now sort of corralled into a bowl. And I'm going to uh, kind of make it make short work of it right now. Beautiful. Well, from the collaborative efforts of CBD crew and Dutch passion comes CBD Kush, a hybrid strain with equal parts THC and CBD. Bred from Candy Kush and an unnamed high CBD variety, CBD Kush typically tests even in both THC and CBD, which may benefit consumers with a low tolerance or those treating conditions such as pain, inflammation, or anxiety. Its psychoactive effects are subtle, offering a tame experience that eases the muscles into relaxation without too much mental cloudiness, which sounds pretty appropriate for going to work, Tan. So um, she was spicy but not burny. A little bit of pine and wood on the back end, but it, it's quite gentle. Nice. Yeah, I'm. Uh, this is one of those strains on Leafly that actually has not been categorized yet, so they've not um, they've not categorized the terpenes uh, as of yet. Um, and it's so funny because it's like, yeah, it's telling me it's a hybrid, but right now this feels like an incomplete entry. 
But this is exactly as much information as we would have had before, right? So it's it's neat to see. I really want to see what the terpene makeup is. And again, if you haven't checked out the flowers on Leafly, please do that. Um, I'm smoking on a little Lemon Riot by uh, by Sundial. And Lemon Riot is a rascal OG that's been grown by... Um, uh, by, of course, Sundial Cannabis up here in Canada. They're based out of Alberta, actually. And uh, I'm actually enjoying it out of my Argo today, my Ariser Go. And so I've got a nice little bowl packed. Um, these are these are actually really variegated looking. That's a, There's your word of the day. Variegated, Dan. It's, uh, it's some light green and some dark green um, foliage in there. Um, not super, like not super, uh, trichomy. There's not like a thick frosting on this guy. Hairs are kind of small and minimal. It's, um, little, little prickly orange hairs. Um, the buds are tiny. Uh, I will say that, but the smell is really nice. Let me just, let me take another, another sniff here before we get going. Yeah, it's, it's got kind of like, um, your nose, your nose beeped a kind of acknowledgement. Uh, do you have a mechanized <laughs> sort of cyber nose there? <laughs> yes, indeed, mechanized cyber nose. Um, yeah, no, it, it's it's got like a very gra- like a very um, a grassy is the best word to put it. It's got like a yeah, like a earthy plant. I mean, obviously, it sounds it sounds obvious for cannabis, but you know, there's none of those sweet notes. There's none of those peppery notes. Just a very straightforward, earthy flavor, um, almost like walking out into a freshly cut lawn in the middle of the summer. I'm really digging this. No lemon on the nose, though. Strangely, I would expect with a name like Lemon Riot, we hear some of that, but uh, I actually got none of it in this. And uh, uh, I'm I thought go it was and- uh, Rascal OG there, Big Papa. It is Rascal OG. It is Rascal oh. OG. I just, oh. I'm not really oh. getting much lemon out of this particular But what's Lemon Riot? Bud. I'm confused. Sorry. So Lemon Riot is the name that Sundial grows the uh, grows the um, the Rascal OG under. A Thanks, lot of homie. the LPs up here in Canada, as you as you know, um, call, yeah. they'll, they'll brand certain strains. For me, yeah. I like to know the strain name. So Rascal OG is what we got. Yeah, buddy. And the clarity, it just feels so good. It does. Okay. Holy smokes, there's that lemon. Wow. So one great example of why vaporization is so amazing. So um, if you've heard of me talk about the Argo before, it's um, it's a convection vaporizer that, um, that has a glass tube on the inside that is what you pack the cannabis into. So you're actually smoking off or vaping off of glass and the flavor is really bright. It's really bright, really clear. Um, and right now I'm getting, it's almost like I've got a lemon peel in my mouth. It's really nice and earthy. That earthy flavor is still there. A little bit of uh, earthy grassiness, but the lemon is really bright. Lovely. Sounds lovely, buddy. And the nice thing about the Argo <clears throat> You very rarely get that like burnt hair taste you get often from vaporizing. Yeah. Um, that's one of the things that drives me nuts when the whole house just smells like someone lit their arm hair on fire. Yeah, it's Not no getting good. even a lick of it out of this lemon riot. Beautiful. Uh, you want to let us know what the Rascal OG profile is? Yes, sir. Short and sweet Rascal OG was bred by Cali Connection by crossing OG Kush and SFV OG Kush. Rascal smells uh, of lemon and pine oh. with a musty okay. and grassy taste with oh, dense all right. light and dark green colored buds. Just verbatim? wait there. Just wait there to suck your own backbone. Uh, ah. This sticky stain, a strain is soft when broken apart. Uh, 
with dark green colored buds and terror signal says this is not really a nighttime strain i kept trying to take this to bed or in the middle of the night because i have trouble sleeping i am more of a focused body high kept me awake with my mind spinning great yeah Great. <laughs> no, I actually knew this about uh, about Lemon Riot. It's one of those strains, to be honest, it's one of those strains that, I mean, it's 10 p.m. right now, so it's maybe a little later than I'd normally consume. But it's one of those strains um, that I like to enjoy at around 8.30. So I get home from work. I unfortunately am unable to smoke at work, and I can't smoke at work. It's just, I don't know, my body doesn't do it well. Um, but I get home at night, and I don't want to pass out. You know, I don't want to... Uh, hit that granddaddy purple. I don't want to even go for that blue dream. So the Lemon Riot, the Rascal OG at 8.30, 8 o'clock will keep me awake for a solid two and a half, three hours at like full attention. And then I will get that, you know, get that, uh, that nice comfortable burnout. It's not like an, it's not like a, like a couch lock. It's not like a, you know, can't keep my eyes open, but my body will just relax into, into tiredness and I'll have no problem sleeping. So, um, it's a really nice, uh, mid, um, mid-evening strain but yeah this this might be a little bit late dan i might be due for a late night here we shall see you can always choke yourself with a belt um yeah well uh, <laughs> but i mean how would that, that be any different right yeah not much not much how's these it's a calm night at home with the wife <laughs> how's the cbd kush uh, hitting it it's in the face which is interesting i wasn't expecting it to be a uh, sort of face high but it's just like a, a warm sort of uh, uh gel has been moved across my face maybe it's got a little vitamin c maybe it's got a little mm. bit of self tanner and who knows but that's kind of what it feels like i've elevated um sort of a helium a gaseous feeling across uh the the face area especially in the top of the forehand head uh, we all know about the strain uh headband and it's it's got a little bit of a headband feel there nice yeah feels like i've um, been in the sun for 45 minutes perhaps yeah (laughs) it's you right in the forehead that's pretty neat man i mean it's that balance strain so uh, i imagine it's got i find all of the balance strains those high cbd strains really leave me with like a smirchy feeling in my gut yeah just like i feel like i'm a marshmallow a little bit Uh, i kind of like it it's nice sometimes especially if you're sinking into a couch yeah yeah. Uh, mine is uh, really apparent right at the top of my neck. So I feel like some of my neck tension kind of melting away a bit, which is nice. Um, but it's true. This is a, this is a, this is a strain for word of the day. Number two, a little alacrity, very clear, very clear headed, um, you know, uh, cr- creative thinking, but really more energetic thinking. Like sometimes on Blue Dream, there's a little bit more creativity that comes in and you'll go down a rabbit hole thinking about whatever, a book or a piece of media that you've been digesting but this one is like i feel like i want to do some tasks man get me a spreadsheet let's get that going <laughs> i gotta crunch some numbers yeah, let's do that let's make that happen Alrighty, righty dan well listen you gotta bounce off to work here pretty soon unfortunately uh well unfortunate for me fortunate for you and your uh the roof over your head but um quickly let's just touch in on some games that are coming out uh we got well, games that have come out and games that are coming out. Jedi Fallen Order is probably the biggest one right now. That's just hit retail, I think, right? I think you're contemplating that one? Yeah, it's coming out just about two days ago as of this recording. Um, I've heard great things on the opening, uh, so it's been reviewed well. Put it on hard mode. It's a lot like Dark Souls, put with a little bit of uh, Nathan Drake 
in there and I've really enjoyed what I've heard so far. It sounds like um, you really have to be tactical about the way you approach combat situations. You are a Jedi, but you are de- are definitely killable. Um, and it's got a real Metroid Metroidvania feel in the sense that as you progress back to the, through the game, you're going to come back to certain spots when you have powers and access to different rooms, um, which are going to reward you with new areas and uh, Jedi powers and things of that nature. So that it uh, it sounds like a real pickup. It looks beautiful. Really, uh, uh, many are saying the best job that EA has done with the Star Wars license since they've got it um, really clean. Yeah, I mean, the Kyle Katarn games are one of my favorites, and I think that, you know, they were, again, an action, somewhat RPG, but, yeah, an action RPG that, um, that, that gave you a really focused kind of narrative, but also put you in the Star Wars action, and that one was less about retracing your steps and, you know, doing that thing, but uh, I think it was Jedi Outcast, um, Jedi Knight 2 or something like that. Really loved that game and have not played anything similar since. So is this in the same vein kind of thing? Um, hard to say. Uh, hard to hard to say. I, I think it's it. there could be some comparisons drawn, but I think you'll just have to take a look, Andy. Oh, wait for a little look-see. Uh, Pokemon Sword and Shield came out this past Friday, and it is fraught with controversy. Um, a lot of reviewers on the internet, on the interwebs, the intercollusion, are uh, are talking about how it's one of the best Pokemon games they've ever played, uh, which is encouraging. It's a fully 3D world. The big change is that you got Pokemon running around on the overworld, and so it kind of um, creates a little bit more excitement around those random battles than annoyance. Um, there's some other really cool new features that sound great, but one of the big elements people are talking about is they have not included all of the lovable many thousand now, I don't know, Pokemons. So um, that's been an issue. It's been a mainstay for the game series since its inception, and now you cannot catch them all, which is puzzling. Uh, And then, you know, there's some other folks who have mentioned that the game feels a little bit samey. There's some reused sprites and graphics, and, um, you know, I, I, I don't see it. To be fair, it looks like a beautiful game, and the overworld is a huge departure, and I, I'm excited to try it. But yeah, there's some uh, there'd be some dragons over there right now, so we'll see how it all nets out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they definitely... I, I imagine you'll be picking it up immediately, right, Dan? Uh, yeah, I'm going to pick this up immediately. I'm going to play in one sitting, and then I'm going to write a short fan fish- fiction about it. Yeah, this is not this is not where I parked my car at all. It's not for me. Um, they definitely, some folks have noticed that they bor- borrowed some of the animations from the previous release on 3DS. And, you know, as from the developers, I feel a little bad for them, because as you go on, uh, the Pokemon uh, uh, Pokedex keeps getting bigger and bigger, um, so it's harder and harder to keep that that promise. You know what I mean? That They should just come out and say, straight up, guys, Blastoise has gone extinct. I'm sorry, he's gone. <laughs> Pour one out for Blastoise. F in the chat for Blastoise. Um, yeah, you know, the, some of the notable uh, games that we've missed and since our absence have been um, The Witcher for Switch, which is a, a thousand percent my next pickup. Uh, that one's delaying Pokemon for sure. It's delaying Jedi Fallen Order for sure. Um, getting The Witcher completed is is one of my um, burning and urgent priorities of life so I will be picking that up for the switch so I can give it a go on the on the go uh, death stranding any interest in playing this one Dan yeah Kojima is my guy right so I've been I've been with I him know, since Metal is. Gear one um, so this is his first Kojima productions title uh, since splitting with uh, Konami so I'm definitely gonna get it um, very divisive game as well um, the the European reviewers t- tend to love it um, the US seems to be divided the 
Aussie reviewers blasted it as being a little bit up its own. But I mean, I think that for a game like this, um, that which just for folks that don't know what it is, it, it really boils down to a really rich story with uh, the the main gameplay loop is delivering packages between locations and finding creative ways to get around while avoiding um, the BT, the beach things, which are... Uh, things that have died that are now in the limbo area and other competing sort of delivery guys that want to take your stash that's that's like my five second sort of summary um and if you like kojima stuff if you enjoy the cinematics and sort of a highbrow story this might be for you um if you're more into the shooty shooty blast blast modern warfare is like where you parked your car every time this one might not be for you but folks are deeply divided the aussies andy really blasted this game (laughs) (laughs) it feels like a game that you either get or you don't yeah. I don't mean that like get it and if you don't you're unsophisticated but a game that clicks with you it's a game that um, from what I see looks like Kojima diving into his deepest Kojima in his Kojima head and uh, creating forth a web of Kojiminess that you either resound with or uh, yeah. you know tastes like a blue orange so um, yeah I uh, I'm deeply disturbed by a lot of the imagery in the game there's some weird some weird deep shit in there that just yeah yeah. And also it's uncanny that the dude who's the main character is also like obviously modeled and I think there's some advanced technology. Norman Reedus. Also known as the guy from, uh, the, from Walking the Walking Dead, Dead who plays the uh, hick with the bow. Um, hick is not nice. Uh, they prefer Sons of the Soil. <laughs> Sorry. The uh, the Sons of the Soil with the bow. Uh, it's just, just no ring there. No, no tone. <laughs> no, it doesn't really flow, um, does it? No, it does not flow, Dan. But uh, it's uncanny. Listen, there's lots to like about it. It's all weird. It just everything about that game. Looking at it makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I definitely want to play it, or at least hear about you having played it. There you go, exactly. And and you touched on it briefly. If you like this game, you're right. If you don't like this game, you're also right. Correct. Correct. And on that note. Dan, I think it's time for us to get you to work. So, listener questions or games you want us to play, hit us up, purpledungeonsquid at gmail.com. Dan, you're uh, you're checking that email address, right? Uh, let's say yes. And, you know, be a pal and and do your, your two buddies, uh, Andy and Dan, a favor and recommend this thing to your friend. We'd appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Or don't. I mean, I'm not, I don't pay your checks. I don't sign anything. You're your own man. Trust your gut. You're your own person. Your own person, and that means that you should share this podcast or be a loser. Mm-hmm. Anyway, make sure you make sure you follow us on Instagram. I'm sorry, you're not a loser. You're a great person. You're a strong individual. You're special. Your ideas are and great. You're doing your best. You be Nothing you. Nothing wrong man. with that. You be. You. I like that shirt. Mm-hmm. Um, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Purple Dungeon Squid. Until next time, please, my friends, keep it dank. Fuck, I am high. No, it's Caryophylline, 100%. Says who? Says Leafly in their guide to how to pronounce strain or how to pronounce terpenes. Caryophylline. I think they're wrong. I don't think Leafly's wrong on how to pronounce the terpene. Leafly versus Dan on weed terpenes. How to pronounce Caryophylline. Let's find out. And YouTube. Caryophylline. Boom!
You don't get to. Con I win or? I guess so. One just, sec. How to say it. carry off? If it said your thing, you wouldn't be searching again, would you? I'm the Googler.